Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is ranking our NBA top 10 big board. We all have 10 different prospects, and we're just going to rank them how they did this season, and we're just going to talk about them a little bit. But, you know, we kind of teased this off camera, and we had to bring the All Facts Media guys back on the podcast. So everyone, please welcome Aaron and Andrew Robinson. What's up, guys? Glad to be back on the pod, man. You know, one more episode of me schooling Drew, you know, and, and being right and telling him why he's wrong. So I, 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 I'm, I'm excited to get going. See, it's, it's, it's crazy you say that about telling me that I'm wrong, you're right, when we're actually going to start this podcast with you issuing an apology to me because you were wrong and I was right, which happens more so often than not. So, matter of fact, I'm just going to give you give you the floor, actually. Ryan, do you want to introduce the bet that took place all camera? For those, of, for those of you who don't know, me and Drew made a bet. On oh, Matt Aaron got it. Aaron got it. <laughs> me, and Drew, me and Drew made a bet on the last episode of this podcast. Um, we bet on the Oklahoma State Liberty game. I picked Liberty. Drew picked Oklahoma State. The reason I picked Liberty was because I said that Kate Cunningham was going to get locked up. I said that Liberty was going to play that pack line defense. He wasn't going to be able to get downhill. And uh, Drew said he's going to have 25 points because he's simply the best player on the floor, NBA prospect, professional athlete, you know, which is true. Kate Cunningham is the best player in the country, you know. But I was right. They did lock him up. He shot three for 14 and two for eight from three. But, but Liberty did lose the game. So in that sense, I was wrong. Oklahoma State won, you know. So, so I, will, I will apologize to Drew uh, for, for, for picking the wrong team. But I was right in my analysis of Kate Cunningham uh, and, and his inability to, to dominate the game in the way that Drew expected him to dominate the game. So that's where we're going to go ahead and leave it with, with, that, with, that, uh, with that take. The bottom line is, you were wrong, okay? You were wrong. I was right. I told you oh that Liberty was not going to have enough to defeat Oklahoma State. That was, in fact, true. You know, you were so hyped about this defense that we're going to play. It will happen at the end of the game. Kay Cunningham, ISO, free throw line. ISO, free throw line. ISO, right wing, three. He had nine points down the stretch. And if you guys remember on the pod, last time we were on here, I said, if the game is close, Kay Cunningham is going to take over down the stretch and there's going to be nothing Liberty can do. And that's exactly what happened. Kay won the game from the foul line. Andy made perhaps the biggest three in that second half. And they got the win, which rightfully is all that matters. Like I said, it was going to happen. What can I say? You know? And on that note, I think we should throw it to Jalen because he's got some questions for each of our top 10 big board lists. So, Jalen, take it away. Yeah, guys. So, I mean, uh, we're going to end up breaking down a lot of these prospects in more detail as we go along. Kay Cunningham is probably one of the more polarizing prospects, but probably one of the more definite guys as well in terms of being the the lead guy at number one. But um, first off, I'm kind of just going to start off with my list. Um, Ryan, I'm going to get your list. And then uh, all facts, guys, did you you guys had a conjointed list based on what was sent to me? Right. So we're probably going to also read that one out. Yeah, I have a few, um, a few, a few tweaks uh, to mine, but um, for, for the most part, it's, it's pretty similar. But I have a few tweaks as well. Okay, so we'll pretty much just have everybody read theirs out. I'm gonna make sure to like write them all down, and we'll kind of like basically compare and contrast. But we're gonna basically break down all these guys, 
kind of get an understanding of what they can bring to the next level and kind of based on where we have them slotted. We're also going to talk about their fit in the NBA in terms of the kind of teams they might end up on, because that's going to be one of the more important things is how that game translates less than kind of how their college success makes them as a prospect. Cause you know, at the end of the day, we're trying to watch them in the league. So um, I'm going to start off with mine um, at number one, the, the all apparent Kate Cunningham, who we were just discussing beforehand. Number two, Evan Mobley from USC, Jalen Suggs of Gonzaga at number three, Jalen Green from the G League at number four, Jonathan Kuminga at number five from the G League as well, uh, Davion Mitchell, a guy that we did not get to talk about a whole lot on our last pod, especially from a draft standpoint. Can't wait to talk about him a lot. I have him at number six. I have Franz Wagner from Michigan um, at number seven. I have Scotty Barnes from Florida State at number eight. I have Keon Johnson from Tennessee at number nine, and I have Moses Moody of Arkansas at number 10. So, Ryan, what is your list looking like, my guy? All right, so for number one, I have Kate Cunningham from Oklahoma State. Number two, I have Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga. Number three, I have Jalen Green from the G League Ignite team. Number four, I have Evan Mobley from USC. Number five, I have Jonathan Kaminga from the G League Ignite team. Number six, I have Davion Mitchell from Baylor. Number seven, I have Moses Moody from Arkansas. Number eight, I have James Booknight from UConn. Number nine, I have Kai Jones from Texas. And I and at number 10, I have Keon Johnson from Tennessee. All right, cool. So we got Kai Jones, as we already got a different one as it is. That's going to be a really interesting one as well. Uh, Aaron, kick us off with what your list is in terms of you guys at all facts, because I'm very interested to see where you guys differ considering that Drew has a couple of tweaks he has to add in. Yeah, the one I, I just made one last minute tweak just off kind okay. of digging and, and reevaluating what I what I had on my list. But um I got Kay Cunningham at one, Jalen Suggs at two, Evan Mobley at three, Jonathan Kaminga at four, Jalen Green at five, Davion Mitchell at six, Scotty Barnes at seven, Moses Moody at eight, Kai Jones nine, James Booknight ten. I had Keon Johnson at ten, but I just I, I slipped book night in there just 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 a few minutes ago. So now I got I got book night at ten. All right, all right, and there's another newcomer in there as well in terms of uh, Scotty Barnes. Not too different, but in terms of his placement, it's really interesting where we have him at. He's a guy that's going to be kind of polarizing throughout this prospect um, process. Uh, you guys' book night take is going to be something that's going to be interesting to compare as well as we go down the line of guys to talk about. And then, Drew, what is your order? Yeah, so I have um, Kate Cunningham at one. I have Evan Mobley at two. Jalen Suggs at three. Um, I think at four, it really – I mean, and obviously a lot of these also are going to depend on what team gets the pick. But I think if I had to choose, I would go Jalen Green, four, Kuminga, five, out of the uh, GD Ignite guys. Um, I think I would go – Davion Mitchell, six. I think he's probably the next best player. Um, again, I think it depends on the fit as well, though, because I think if it's not um, a team that needs a guard, I think I, you, we could see a situation where a guy like um, Kai Jones maybe gets up that high. But I'm going to, for right now, I'm going to go Davion Mitchell, six. Um, seven, I actually have Moses Moody, eight, Scotty Barnes. Um, nine, I, I think I'm going to go Corey Kispert. And um, ten, I, I'm going to throw a book night in there as well. 
So y'all see he hopped on my my Kispert train. I had to actually bump him down a little bit, but we'll end up discussing that one a little bit too. I think that one's going to be really crucial because he's one of those guys that I feel like depending on how you view his tournament run, you might think that he was a eight to 10 range guy that might've dropped down or he was a 10 to 12 range guy that kind of maintained his spot because he didn't have any glaring game that was necessarily bad, but not really any standout games on his team as the, the main senior getting minutes as well. So I think it's going to be really interesting to kind of go throughout this list. Obviously we've kind of talked about Kate a little bit through the bet, but we haven't really talked about him in terms of his overall game. So uh, Ryan, first of all, just kind of help me out with, with us going through this. Do you mind kind of like explaining K Cunningham's season from like a statistical standpoint, like pretty much how he did for Oklahoma State, any big games that might have came along the way? Yeah, K Cunningham had a very solid season. It was his first season, of course, at Oklahoma State. 20 points a game, six rebounds, three and a half assists, shooting close to 44% from the field. You know, the tournament games that were referenced earlier in the episode, he had 15 against Liberty and he had uh, 14 in the second half, including going on 9-0 run in the second half to really pull away from uh, Liberty and give Oklahoma State the win. And then against Oregon State, he put up 24 points and had five steals in that game. Wasn't shooting the ball particularly well in that game, 30% from the field, 36% from three. Was able to shoot 80% from the line, though. So I think that there was a lot of, potential from Kate Cunningham. And I think that it's going to be really interesting to see what he, what he does going into the league, especially considering that we saw him against some good competition in the tournament. Yeah. And I mean, throughout the big 12, it was a lot of guys, that, a lot of teams that they had to run through as well, which was one of the more important things throughout the year, because that's kind of what built their tournament case up and made it even harder to keep them out. Despite the situations coming into the year that made it seem like they weren't going to be a postseason team to begin with. Aaron, from an NBA standpoint, the first thing that I kind of want to get your analysis on is, do you feel like Oklahoma State was the kind of place to really maximize Cade's talents as a prospect? Because he was the guy, right? But he's a guy that we also can openly say, despite the fact that the the numbers say 3.5 assists, we know that he's a guy that is relatively pass happy to a certain extent. He's a guy who definitely is very open to facilitating. And he had a lot of guys that don't knock down threes as a driving kick guy, not being able to have a lot of guys that rely on to be able to shoot the ball at a high clip is something that can kind of skew the numbers a little bit. So first off, how do you feel about his season at Oklahoma state? And do you feel like it like in any way hindered or helped that he was in that situation in terms of him trying to move on to the next level? I think Oklahoma State was the best place for him. I think I think going into a situation like that where you're the you're the primary ball handler, you're the primary decision maker. You know, he's he's the one making all the plays. Everybody, um, and we saw what he could do. He he, he showcased his full skill set with his ability to pass the ball, his ability to finish, his ability to post up, his ability to get downhill. I think all that stuff that's that's going to translate well to the program. If you, I think if he didn't went somewhere where you know he was going to have to be sharing sharing the ball or champ playing responsibility with somebody else, we wouldn't have seen all of his full arsenal as far as things that he can't do on the basketball court. So when you look at guys like a Trey Young a few years ago at Oklahoma State was in a similar role where he had to kind of do everything for that team. And obviously it's worked out for him in the NBA. Um, a guy like Ben Simmons at LSU, obviously he had a uh, Blakeney, Tony Blakeney with him at LSU. But you know, these, these situations, even a Markel Fortz at Washington, um, they, like these guys that have gone to these schools 
and I've kind of been the only Anthony Edwards last year at Georgia, similar situation. You know, I think and we see how it's working out for him in the league. So um, I think, you know, the way that they play, like they, they play in a lot of ball games, they allowed him to do a lot of stuff offensively. Like they posted him up, you know, and, and he was able to showcase a big, a lot of his game, which I think is going to bode really well for him going, going to the, uh, the NBA. So I think it was a great move for him to go to a place like that. I think one of the most interesting things about it, right, is that we all understand that once you get to the NBA level, the spacing of the court becomes way more important and almost way more significant. It's one of those things that, like, as a regular fan, you don't tend to notice when you think about the idea that, like, oh, the three-point line is pushed back further. The dimensions of the court overall in terms of spacing changes. And then, of course, the shooting caliber changes when you get to that level as well. One of my bigger things, Drew, I kind of want you to piggyback off of where Aaron was going, but also kind of elaborate further. One of the biggest things that kind of got me with Cade's game in particular, and I don't know if this was simply a factor of being a part of Oklahoma State or if this is simply a factor of Cade's playing style, but one of the bigger things, you touched on it when we were talking about the bet earlier, is his tendency to lean on second-half surges. Um, He's a guy who I think throughout the year the stat was something like he averaged about six points in the first half and like 14 in the second. He's one of those guys that like is a slow starter, but can really explode coming off the second half tip for you watching Kate on a consistent basis and knowing that that slow progression from the first to second half was to a certain extent, almost calculated. It almost felt like, was it one of those things that was concerning for you in terms of his, his ability to develop and grow? heading into the next level or was that something that you see as maybe actually a benefit in his you know growth as a player being a guy who can come out in the second half and really turn things on and change his gears yeah nah I mean I think it was uh it just shows that he's a pro man like because that's what pros do I mean if you look at the NBA you know guys like LeBron for example people always get on LeBron because like LeBron will you know he'll coast um and getting in the game and kind of just fill the game out see how the team's guarding you um, see, you know, see how they're playing ball screens. Are they hedging? Are they switching? Are they dropping? Um, seeing what the guys are doing on the weak side. Are they stunning? Are they xing out? So you kind of take the beginning of the game to figure all that stuff out. And the second half is, is when you really pick teams apart. And um, I'm a huge LeBron guy. Obviously, LeBron is like one of the all-time leaders in the NBA in fourth quarter points and fourth quarter scoring. Um, I mean, he's the most, in my opinion, he's the most clutch player in the history of the NBA just because of what he's been able to do in the playoffs, making clutch shots. And I think for Cade, his ability to showcase that in college, um, being able to really have the ball and make plays was great, man, because it shows that he, he had that cerebral sense to where, all right, in the first half, he's letting the game come to him. And in the second half, he's able to take over the game like that. And I think that that's really um, a characteristic of, of a pro, a pro basketball player, man. And even going back to what you guys asked in the last question, um, I think Oklahoma State, man, was really the best thing that could happen to Cade, man, him, him going there. Um, I think that, obviously, another thing that sets him apart is his ability to get to the foul line. Um, in the NBA, I think that's an underrated skill set, like being able to score, being able to get to the foul line. I mean, like, I mean, Ace mentioned the things he can do with the ball as far as getting to the basket, you know, shooting the three ball, shooting the mid-range, but he's also great at getting to the foul line. And um, he gets – I mean, when you look at guys in the NBA like James Harden, I mean, you can literally – you can – I mean, those different five, six, seven, eight points you rack up from the foul line can put you in a completely different category as far as your, your scoring average and your numbers and this caliber of play that you are. Um, he's definitely great at getting downhill. He's great in transition. Um, and he was able to showcase that at Oklahoma State, man. You look at guys, you know, like um, at Kentucky, for example, man, you might go to school, well, oh, man, I'm going to play with better players. And, you know, B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark, those guys were top five picks at the beginning of the year. 
And mm-hmm. now them dudes are might not even be first round picks. You know, you be, who knows if Terrence Clark even gets drafted. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's it's tough. Um, you look at a guy like Devin Booker, for example, who obviously is one of the best players in the league. Now he he didn't even start at Kentucky. You know what I'm saying? He got drafted tenth. You know, um, so I mean, I think it's a benefit. You know, having guys like a Trey Young at Oklahoma, Anthony Edwards at Georgia, Colin Sexton at Alabama, who was a lottery pick. You know, and was able to. He was playing three on five basketball at Alabama at one point, man. So, I mean, um, you know, obviously K had that 40 point game. Um, I think it was against Oklahoma earlier in the year, man, where he was able to really just get off, man. I think that, you know, if you're an NBA prospect, man, I think it's, it's, it's good, man, for guys to be able to go to schools like that, man, where you can really shine and show your full skill set, man. Because at, at the end of the day, man, like, those, that's what you're going to have to do in the league. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're going to have the basketball in the NBA. You're going to be asked to make plays. You're going to be asked to, when the game is on the line, take over. You know, and uh, that's what they're going to be paying you the max dollars for. So, um, if you 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 know, the, the, the sooner you start that process, um, the better, man. So, I think all that really played in, in into Cade's uh, favor. So, with Ryan, uh, Ryan, I think the biggest thing that I pull away from both of these guys is that the bigger thing for Cade is that being a pro-ready guy, similar to a lot of these other first-round picks that have been in similar positions to that, Aaron kind of listed off a handful of them earlier with the guys like Ben Simmons, Anthony Edwards uh, more recently, that the overall ideal is to be on tape doing what you do best. It's not necessarily the circumstances. It's one of those things where from a draft standpoint, the winning aspect is more of the cherry on top nowadays rather than actual the actual skill set because the translation to the next game is different. Um, one of the biggest things that I've heard as of late in terms of translating to the next game is something – that I find a very interesting comparison to. And before we move off, Kate, I really want kind of your response to that, Ryan, is there's been a lot of comparisons to Luka Doncic as of late um, between the build, uh, the overall frame, some of the playing style. I think the creative passes have also kind of given that away to a certain extent. I think one of the bigger things that's different is that, like, Kate is projected to be a little bit better of a shooter going in, obviously, like 40% from three, Um Coming out of Oklahoma State, I think he shot like almost 85% from the free throw line, which obviously projects pretty well, too. Do you think, though, because we're talking about like a top 10 level player, a guy who came into the NBA season as like the front runner by most odd maker standpoints as like the MVP. He's not the MVP right now, obviously, but he's a guy who came into the year with that kind of caliber. Do you think that that kind of comp is pushing it or do you feel like that's just the kind of level that Kate can reach considering the skill set that he has MVP is interesting and I also think it's reachable it's not outrageous I think what he showed us in college is that he's ready for the NBA and he's proven that through the rivalry games that he's played in I think the other thing is that when you think about the comparison to Luka Doncic I mean he has that capability to even be better than Luka Doncic he's 6'8 even though the frame is the same as Luka Doncic I mean Luka's 6'7 but I feel like he handles the ball better than Luca, and I also feel like his playmaking ability is slightly better than Luca. But I think there's just a lot of potential. I think that he has that capability to be the MVP. I think he has that capability to take a team to the finals. It, it really just also comes down to where he gets drafted to. I know some mock drafts have him going to Minnesota. Others have him going to Detroit. They're not two of the top destinations, but they're two rebuilding franchises that are looking to make a playoff run in the future. I think Kate's the guy that they can center their franchise around, and hopefully he gets drafted to a team like Minnesota or Detroit or Houston so that they can build a franchise around them. 
Yeah, I think Cade's one of those interesting situations as a prospect where I don't think fit, you know, as we get further down this list, um, Drew brought this up before we actually got got on that when, um, and he brought it up a little bit in his big board, that one of the bigger things is going to be fit for a handful of these guys in terms of where they get selected as high as these top 10 spots where we're focusing on. But I think that Cade is one of those circumstances where I don't think that's going to be nearly as impactful because I think he's going to be able to step in and kind of make a move off rip. Um, the next guy that we're going to talk about is the the darling of the tournament. Um, Jalen Suggs was a guy who has really kind of moved his way up the board because of his tournament play. Um, Drew, me and you have Mobley second. Uh, Ryan and Aaron have Suggs second. Um, so we're kind of going to interchange between those two guys. We're kind of going to start with Suggs because of his run. I think that's going to be a really interesting point to kind of focus on Ryan. Uh, do you mind kind of highlighting how his season went from a statistical standpoint, uh, any great games that kind of stood out, anything that kind of stood out to you, kick things off with him. You want to talk about great games. Let's talk about this tournament because this tournament is the reason why he propelled himself to the second overall pick. So let's just start, let's just start going game by game. Only at six points against Norfolk state. Only played in 16 minutes, though. Didn't shoot the ball particularly well. 16 points against Oklahoma. Only shot 38% from the field. 9.6 assists and 5 rebounds. Gets a little bit better against Creighton. Against USC is where he has his sort of coming out party. 18 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists. Shot the ball well that game. 63.6% from the field. 50% from 3. This UCLA game is where he, he really propelled his case. 16.6 rebounds or six assists, five rebounds, two steals. He had that game winner in the final seconds of overtime to give Gonzaga the win over UCLA late. And then in the, in the tournament final, in the, in the final against Baylor, 22 points, three assists, two steals, shot the ball well at 53%, 40% from three. Jalen Suggs was really the only thing going for Gonzaga in that championship game. And when you think about, where he started he obviously was a potential top five lottery pick to begin the season but the fact that we're talking about him as the potential second overall pick borderline first overall pick I think that's the improvement of Jalen Suggs throughout the season so Aaron as the other person who has him at number two I kind of want you to kind of plead your case to a certain extent um, for Suggs in terms of why you have him at number two, uh, Mobley is a guy who has been very polarizing. I think the tournament didn't really tell us a ton about who he is as a player, but it gave us a certain amount of flashes that could maybe indicate his projection at the ne- next level. Suggs is a guy that played around a lot of talent, but he had a lot of opportunities to showcase off his own individual skill set. So, like, plead your case for why you feel Suggs is the second best player in this draft class. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Suggs just does everything well. Like, there's not really anything that he doesn't do well. I mean, he's he's he, he can obviously make threes. Like, he only shot 33 percent as far as percentage, but I mean, like, you he's had games obviously versus Iowa, UCLA, the national championship game where he made big shots at big. I mean, I think that Iowa game in the beginning of it was really where people said, "Oh, oh my God, like this dude is unbelievable." Like, he had like 27. I think I think he hit like seven threes or eight threes or something like that in that game. Like, he he shot the piss out of the ball. He just makes big shots, makes big passes, makes big the, the block. You see the, the the play for UCLA where he had the block and then had that bounce pass 
um, that led, led to a dunk on the other end. Like, he just makes plays like that. I think intangibly, like, he's just – he plays so hard. That, and I think those are the things that you can't really quantify on a stat sheet. Like, you look at the numbers, he averaged 14, basically 5-5. Five and five. It's like, all right, he's not going to wow. You're not going to jump off the page that you would. Like I said, you played with three um, other All-Americans – or two other All-Americans in and Ayayi, who obviously is a, is a great player in his own right. But I think Suggs just – when you watch him play, like you're, it's never a dope, a dope moment with him, you know. I think he's just he's the guy that you that you can say, all right, if I'm, a, if I'm a franchise, I didn't start my franchise with one with one player in this draft. And I listened to, to Jeff Goodman talk a lot this year, and he said he spoke to the NBA executive that said they would take him number one, like they, they, they would take him as their first player overall in the draft, just because of you know the the, the things that he brings to the table from an offensive defensive standpoint, um, and his 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 intangibles really I think is really just off the page with him as far as his ability to compete um, and, and things of that sort. So I think like, you, you can't teach winning. I think that's, that's, that's something that he um, is going to be able to do. He's going to be able to bring to any franchise in the league. So I think that's, that's why I have him at two. Um, but like I said, like there's people that, that have said that they were taking with the first overall pick uh, in the draft. Like NBA executives said that, that if they had the pick, they were picking that at number one. So, so well, I, 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 I think that that's more so why I have him at, at two. Um, on my big board. So, uh, Aaron, before I move off of you, I kind of want to get your thoughts on the big game uh, because I think that was one of the big litmus tests, right? I mean, you got 22, um, pretty much two, 22, three and one in the game against Baylor. Most of those games came, uh, most of that those points came in what we call garbage time. Um, playing up against an elite one-on-one uh, -on -one defender, an elite switchable defender, and Davion Mitchell, a guy that we're going to talk about a little bit later. What was your takeaway from that game with con the consideration that we understand there is an elite NBA caliber defender who will also be entering this draft on the other side for that for the Baylor Bears? How did you feel about Jalen Suggs' performance in that game, considering yeah. the matchup itself? I think it, it wasn't even just Davion Mitchell. Like, Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, and Maceo Teague are three of the best two-way guards in the country. You know, I think Jalen Suggs, what what – I think Drew had Kispert in his top 10. And I, I, I don't know how he's still in the top 10 after watching that basketball game. Kispert couldn't beat anybody off the bounce and he couldn't keep anybody in front of him. So it's like, you can't defend and you can't beat anybody off the dribble, which I, why we, on last episode I said, he's, he's Joe Harris. Like he's, he's, he's a, a catch and shoot NBA player, but he's not going to be able to, you know, beat anybody off the bounce, get downhill or anything like that at the next level. But Suggs was the only person that could get downhill, the only person that could really get in the paint. And even he, Struggled a little bit kind of getting past, you know, Butler and Mitchell and, and Teague in, in that championship game. But I think that game was, was really what slipped out of me. Like, all right, this guy, to, to be able to have the game that he had, you know, scoring 22 points against those three, you know, guys was, was, was really said, okay, like, Jalen Suggs is going to be okay at the next level. Like, he, he can get by guys. He can – obviously, he can make big shots. Um, but I think that was, that was more so – that told me more about Kispert and Timmy uh, than, than, I, than I think it did about Suggs because those two guys – Literally couldn't guard us. They couldn't stay in front of any of those Baylor guards. I think that that's, that's, that's something that stood out to me um, as well with Suggs' ability to defend as well. Because he, 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 I think he did a pretty good job um, keeping those guys in front as well on the defensive side of the ball. So um, I think that, that was what I took from that game as far as like Suggs and you know going up against, going up against Davion Mitchell and, and uh, Teague and um, Jared Butler and those guys. So, Drew, with that all being said, like, what, what is your takeaway? Because you you obviously – we're in a little bit of a different boat in this case because we had Suggs at three. What is what is it that you're down on Suggs about or what is it that you feel as though um, 
in terms of the games that he's played this season. You can you can elaborate on the Baylor game as well if you'd like to. But what was it about this season that made it where he could take the jump from five where he was slated in most areas to only three as opposed to two where uh, these other guys have him at? I mean, I, I have met at three just truly because I think Evan Mobley is a better um, prospect as far as potentially down the line. I mean, Evan Mobley basically been getting a lot of like Chris Bosh comparisons, like with his size, with his frame. And quite frankly, I mean, I think it's just the fact that there aren't a lot of bigs in the NBA, man. Like it's the reason why the Warriors went with James Wiseman, you know what I'm saying? Because a lot of teams in the league, they need a guy that you can throw the ball to at the rim, man, uh, a lob guy. You know, Evan Mobley's an elite shot blocker. Um, he's very versatile. Um, he can finish around the rim. He has great touch. And they're just they're, like, there aren't too many bigs like that. I mean, in this draft, you know, they, they're like, I mean, Kai Jones, I, I think is the next big that could come off the board. And Kai Jones is not really an offensive threat at all. I mean, he's pretty much a lob guy and um, guys are going to, you know, rebound and stuff and be a presence at the rim. But, you know, if you look around the NBA, man, like, it's just not a lot of bigs right now. And the fact that he's versatile, um, I think that really is, is what's going to set him apart. Also, I think it's just a, um, a matter of fit. You know, like, let's say Houston gets the number one pick and then Minnesota gets number two. Um, it's like, all right, are you going to pick Jalen Suggs when you already have Anthony Edwards, when you already have D'Angelo Russell there? Um, obviously, your franchise player is Carl Anthony Towns. You know, Russell's, you know, his best friend. You traded away, you know, Andrew Wiggins um, for him. So it's like, are you going to move on from D'Angelo Russell? You did draft Anthony Edwards with the first overall pick last year. So it's like, I just feel like it's, it's it would make more sense for him to put a guy like Mobley there um, beside Carl Towns. So uh, you have the rim protector. You have Carl Towns, who's a scoring option. Then you could have, you know, you had your point guard, you got your center, you got your power forward, you know what I'm saying? You had your combo guard. Like, all you really would need now is a wing. Um, they drafted Jared Culver a couple of years ago. So, I mean, maybe if he can develop and pan out, then they have a, a core. But um, I don't I don't really see a need for, like, a team like Minnesota, like that, to, to draft another guard. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll see. But I think that's really why I have Mobley, um, you know, ranked higher right now than, than Suggs. And um, one of the things we're going to end up getting to these guys actually next after we kind of speed through uh, Mobley, you've done a lot of the making a case for him. And I want to get those uh, these guys take on Mobley in terms of his overall translates to the next uh, to the next level. But, Drew, one other thing I want to ask you before we really go deeper into Mobley is. Do you feel like, okay, so this has been a really exciting season for all of us. You guys cover mid-major basketball primarily, and we saw a lot of significant play from guys like Max Admins and things of that nature during the tournament. And that, it gave us a really good litmus test for what college basketball can still be, even in the midst of a, a pandemic, uh, the transition in terms of a lot of guys choosing leagues like the NBL, the G League, and things of that nature. Do you feel like with performances that we've seen from from Cade, from Suggs, who is probably the one who will probably be the poster child for this, that the college game is still in a very, a very uh, head honcho situation right now in terms of being able to control the pipeline to the NBA. Because I think that the G League is really interesting. I don't necessarily know if the G League moved anybody's, you know, draft stock very much for the guys that were involved but it seems like Suggs benefited significantly. Do you think that the NCAA still has a bit of control in that area, or do you feel as though the G League is still nipping at the heels pretty much because they do have two guys that are in the top five? I mean, I, I think it's both. I think it's both. I think that the G League definitely is better than the NCAA, but more, less because of the draft stock, 
more so because just um, the 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 salaries that those guys are getting paid. I mean, Jalen Green made five hundred thousand dollars this year in the G League. You know what I'm saying? So it's like NCAA can't really match that. You know, but I mean, the biggest mover in the entire draft this entire season uh, was Johnny Juzang. And Johnny Juzang, I'm looking at NBAMockDraft.net right now, and he's sitting at at um at 14, at 14 to the Spurs. You know, that's I think that's, that's a lottery pick. I think Brees Lottery is top 14, man. And he wasn't mm-hmm. even on draft boards at all. Nowhere. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're talking about Jalen Suggs, who moved from, like, four to maybe two or three to maybe one. You know, that I mean, he moved, but not much, really. I mean, this dude, Giant Juzang, went from undrafted, not even thought about being on the NBA radar, to now he's, like, in a lottery discussion um, within just a couple of weeks within the NCAA tournament. So... Um, I mean, you could think back to guy, a guy like, I mean, like I said, I'm a big Syracuse fan. I think of Malachi Richardson, who took Syracuse to the Final Four, um, I think three or four years ago and played his way into the first round. You know, and he hasn't really been seen in the NBA really much since, but he played his way into that first round, got that guaranteed money, and now he's playing in, you know, in Europe, in the Judy, and all that kind of stuff, man. So, I mean, you see this stuff happen a lot, you know, where guys really just play their way up the draft board in the NCAA tournament. So, I think, you know, as far as, you know, as far as being able to like do do more for your stock, I think definitely the NCAA tournament still has the edge there. Cause at, at the end of the day, all these U League night guys, Dacian Knicks, you know, Jalen Green, Kuminga, Isaiah Todd, like those, those dudes went to the G League night program because those are already NBA guys, like those are guys who we're gonna see in the league within the next you know year or two. Um, you know, but there are guys who are, who are on this mock draft now, man, like who have done leaps and bounds for themselves, man, just by playing college basketball. Another name, uh, David Duke. You know, he wasn't in the NCAA tournament, but David Duke was a guy who wasn't on any draft board at all before the year. And it was one point this season, he was at number 10 on, on a lot of mock drafts. Obviously, him not going to the tournament hurt him a little bit because then, you know, a guy like Johnny Duzan can shoot up the draft boards and things like that. You know, I think, I think he'll still be a first-round pick. But, I mean, you see guys that just come out of nowhere, man. Dante DiVincenzo. Another guy that comes to name, man. And he, you know, had that, what, I think 30-point game in, in a 90 chip two or three years ago. Played, went to the first round, and he's been a starter on the Milwaukee Bucks for the last couple of years now. And he wasn't even nowhere on any draft board. So um, I think when it comes to, like, you know, doing doing a lot for your stock and really changing that perception, I think the NCAA still has, um, you know, the, the kind of um, – I mean, I, I think it's – the March, March Madness, man, the, the tournament is, you know, the ultimate place to boost your draft stock, man. So I think that's – I don't think that will ever change, but – um, I think the NCAA still has got to, to do something because, I mean, more and more dudes are going to try to take the Jalen Green route and the Kuminga route over the next couple of years if the NCAA doesn't, doesn't you know, do something. So I think it kind of goes hand to hand. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you focused on that. You know, Ryan always talks about, the, you know, they went from first four in to final four. It's real crazy when you look at Johnny Juzang's stock. David Duke was a guy – I'm so glad you brought his name out because, I mean, he, he was killing it at Providence. I had their year – not gotten, you know, significantly slowed down towards those last five or so games, I think they really could have made a significant play, and that would have also helped his stock as well. Like you said, he started out as a guy who's kind of low, and then throughout the season, he was just kind of showing off a couple of flashes that really moved him up there. And unfortunately, he's kind of slotted up more as like a, a second-round pick now, but I think that he's a guy that, you know, I, he's one of those guys down the line we'll probably discuss uh, combine stuff when that time comes. But he's a guy who around that time who, if he gets invited, I think will still be able to make a play for himself. Um, moving on to Mobley, though, Ryan, what is what is your take on Mobley? We're kind of going to move through Mobley kind of quickly, only because uh, Drew kind of explained um, 
pretty elaborately how his fit at the next level is going to be and what his overall projection is. But what is your feeling on Mobley overall uh, based on what you saw at USC? He's one of the best big men in the draft. And I think wherever team he goes, he's going to be a defensive prowess. I think for Evan Mobley, it's going to be interesting because of where he's going to go. Because I feel like everyone could use a guy like Evan Mobley. But I got to say this. I think if he goes to the Rockets, imagine that pairing with Christian Wood. Because I think that that's going to be a deadly one-two punch in the front court. But I think that Evan Mobley had a solid season this year. Him being number two, I think is it's a little bit questionable because I think Jalen Suggs definitely propelled his case or definitely made his case in the uh, NCAA tournament. But I think that Evan Mobley definitely has a place in the top five. I think it's just a matter of where he goes because of the season that Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga had. I think he's slated somewhere around the 3-4 area. Aaron, I think my biggest thing when it comes to Evan Mobley is that Unlike some of these other guys, I think the center position is where the whole fit category is something that becomes even more emphasized than normal. The The example that was used earlier was James Wiseman. I think, unfortunately, that might actually work negatively towards him rather than positively because I think it only emphasized his fit with Golden State or lack thereof, depending on how you view it, might be one of those things where he might slowly fall just strictly based on who is in that top three area? I think that's going to have a lot of emphasis on his overall fit. Guy, he averaged 16.4, 8.7, um, uh, 16.4 points, 8.7 rebounds. He had about 2.9 blocks, so like nearly three blocks a game. Shot about 58% from the floor. How do you feel about Evan Mobley's transition, transition from the college game to the pro game? Because he was a guy that wasn't necessarily aggressive, at the center position, he just did a lot of different things well. But what do you feel like is his projection at the next level? I've heard Anthony Davis. I've heard Chris Bosh. I don't know if these things are like hyperbole if I or if the tape really tells it. So how do you feel based on what you've seen? I mean, I definitely don't think he's Anthony Davis. I mean, I think Anthony Davis, you know, I think Anthony Davis is like a seven – Six, six, eleven, seven foot guard. Like he can handle the ball. Evan Mobley isn't is handling the ball um, like AD was. Um, like so I don't think he's. I don't think he's AD. You said what? Like Kentucky. AD was AD was shot blocker like Kentucky. But he was a guard in high school though. AD played like point guard in high school, and he got he had a growth spurt. But like yeah. people already always knew that he had that ability in him. Evan Mobley, he's not that. But I think I think Chris Bosh is a solid comparison. I think probably a little bit better shot blocker, a lot better shot blocker. Uh, than, than Bosch was, better rim protector. Um, I don't know. I, I, th- I think that would probably, probably be his best comparison, in my opinion. Um, but, I mean, I, I, I think, I think he, he's a guy, like, um, that can do a lot of things on the basketball court. Obviously, like, like, like you know, he can, he can protect the rim. Um, he shot 30% from three this year, so he can stretch the floor a little bit. Um, I think that will improve it as he, as he gets to the NBA and gets more reps. Um, and it gets more confidence, you know, in, in the jump shot. So um, I think if I had to pick a guy, I would probably say Chris Bosh is probably a, is probably a good comparison for him. Um, and maybe, you know, he could develop in, in something. Just Chris Bosh with, with, a, with a better defensive prowess, better better rim protector uh, is, is what I would probably compare him to. 
And uh, Drew, you kind of already elaborated on his game earlier and the guys kind of shared their feelings on him overall. Ryan kind of uh, threw his out there by mentioning the Rockets as a team that's really interesting. Obviously, other teams that are in this area as well is Minnesota, for example, Detroit, uh, Orlando is in that mix now as well. And then obviously Cleveland, like with teams like that in that mix, where would you based on what you've seen from him, where would you like to see him end up in this draft based on the kind of personnel that some of these teams have? Yeah, man. I, I mean, I think I said earlier, man, I think I would like to see him with, with Minnesota because I think with, with Cat, like, I think, you know, I don't, I think, um, you know, Cat is obviously great offensively, but I think he kind of lacks, um, I think what he lacks, I think El Mobile can kind of make up for it. And like I said, they already have a point guard, obviously in, um, Edwards and D'Angelo Russell, we'll see what they do. They're gonna move on from D'Angelo or you know what, but I think they have a lot of pieces, man. Like I think they have a lot of pieces that are there. Um, you know, so I think that he would be good, man. I think it's just with, with Houston, I think there's a lot of uncertainty. Like, I'm not really sure what they're gonna do with John Wall, if they're gonna keep him, like what that's gonna look like, like down the line. Um, they fumbled the whole Karis Levert situation because they got Levert from Brooklyn for Harden, they shipped him off to Indiana for Old Depot, who just went to, to Miami. So I mean I'm not really that that, that was a, another waste you know that, that would have been a great a great piece so I'm not, I don't really like that I don't really like Houston for him because you know they don't really have too many pieces to put around Mobley right now um, look at Detroit Blake Griffin just walked out you know um, they got Jeremy Grant you know but it's like other than that like and they got Sadiq Bay last year but it's not really anything promising in Detroit right now so um, you really look at Orlando and um, and uh, Minnesota man I think Orlando could be a great fit uh, they, they just lost Vucevic. So I mean, they're gonna need another big. Obviously, Vucevic is a little bit. I think I think um, definitely far more advanced offensively. They got Wendell Carter back in that deal. They're gonna get Jonathan Isaac back. So um, they're gonna have Fultz back and Cole Anthony. So I think either Orlando or um, Minnesota will probably be the best fit for Evan Mobley, in my opinion. I think it's really interesting. I think that that one overall with Orlando is kind of just interesting because they've always been this team that never really could find. A base to say this is where we're going to start a rebuild. They were a team that liked to middle around the middle of the pack with a lot of really good starters, but no star. And I think that this would actually give them an opportunity at that position to be able to finally make a play for that. We've seen it a little bit from Jonathan Isaac, who was like a like a fringe defensive player of the year candidate for most of last year before being injured. And I think that, honestly, his own teammate in Evan Mobley, if this were the circumstance, could honestly combat him for that kind of um, that kind of award on a regular basis because I both think that they have that kind of ability overall. Um, we're going to loop Green and Kuminga together a little bit because their time in the G League was not only was it so long ago, but it was one of those things that kind of gets blurred by the fact that March Madness kind of took over our mind in terms of the basketball scene. Um, Ryan, you were the highest on Jalen Green, though. So I actually want to start with you with Green. We're going to, like I said, we're going to interchange between Green and Kuminga throughout this conversation, but you were the highest on Green with him at three. What has you so high on him that not only is he higher than Kuminga, but you have him higher than Mobley as well? I think he's just really impressive, especially like what he showed in the G League made me think he has the capability to be a franchise changer. If we think about his game for a second, his quickness, off the bounce, explosiveness, shot creation, three-point shooting. 
these are just some of the aspects of his game that I like. And I think that they're going to translate well to the NBA, considering that in the G League, he played against some NBA caliber guys, also some former NBA guys as well. I know with Toronto, he played against Nick Stauskas and then, you know, Jeremy Lin with the Santa Cruz Warriors, just a couple of those guys. And then he was able to learn under NBA guys that were on his team and Jared Jack, Amir Johnson, coach Brian Shaw. I think he was able to get some of the tools in order to really know more about how to play or how, how to gel in the NBA, how to get with the style in the NBA. But the thing that, that puts green over Mobley for me is his upside. I think he does more for a team than Evan Mobley does. I think there's more to his game than what Evan Mobley has to offer. I think Evan Mobley doesn't have a three-point shot. I do think that in the league, big men are really going to have to be required to shoot threes at a high clip. And right now, I don't think Evan Mobley has that. I do think he's a solid player and he's a great rim protector. Can he develop a three-point shot? Absolutely. But I'd rather take the guy who already has the developed three-point shot than the guy who's improving on it. Um, and Ace, I think one of the bigger things uh, when I was looking at your list, you have Kuminga over Green. Uh, just to kind of elaborate for uh, people listening, Green averaged 17.9 points, 2.8 assists, 4.1 rebounds, about a steal and a half a game. Shot about like 36, 37% from three on like six attempts a night. Um, really solid game, but Kuminga was a guy, he's gotten a lot of like, Jalen Brown talk lately in terms of his development and one of the bigger things is like as a guy with the physical stature that he has and physical build that he has along with his athleticism he's a guy who the swing skill that everybody's simply been focusing on is the three-point shot uh took about five threes a game 24.6 percent which was extremely low for him in the G League but he was taking them and that was one of the things that it seemed like a lot of scouts scouts were extremely um, excited about was the fact that he was simply taking the attempts. He averaged 15.8 points per game, 7.2 rebounds, 2.7 assists. You were higher on Kuminga. Is it strictly because of the fact that he is basically an NBA athlete with one simple swing skill to really change his fortune? Or is it something even further than that that makes it where you feel as though despite the fact that Jalen Green might have had a better G League season – per se, statistically, you still see Kuminga as the better player. I just think Kuminga is more versatile. Like, he, he's a guy, like, can play multiple positions. And I think the NBA going now with these, like, 3 and D type of fours, these, like, guys that can play multiple multiple positions, I think Kuminga fits that fits that more really well. I think, you know, like, like you said, it, he didn't shoot the ball well from three, but I think the fact that he was taking them and the fact that, you know, he, he was confident shooting them, I think, is, is, is a good sign. You know, I think he's always improved. On your jump shot, obviously in, in the NBA, if you, if you you know put in the work and you have good work ethic and whatnot, so I think the Jalen Brown comparison is, is is great for him. I think that, that that's what I kind of see him as, um, and I think you know just, just his versatility, his ability to defend. He, like uh, I think he's a great defensive player. Um, he can play in the post, can get can get downhill, super athletic. I think in this in this like positionless basketball era that we're in right now, I think he's just the ideal prospect for a team. Um, you can you can kind of plug and play him in multiple in multiple positions, and you have him guard multiple positions. You can switch. You know, uh, I think that that'll bode well for a lot of franchise. I think upside wise, if he ever does develop that three point shot to a point where it's consistent, I think he's going to be. You know, his ceiling is just so much higher, in my opinion, than then someone like a Jalen Green, where it's like, I feel like we've we've just seen a lot of Jalen Green. He's got a super athletic, super skilled. Um, it's like you get to the league and everybody's super athletic and super skilled. So it's like, what did you really do that separates you? 
Um, I think part of that was just the fact that he um, he elected to go to the G League. We didn't get to watch him too much in, in college and see you know see him in, in that environment. But I just I just, I just think that Kaminga is just a little more versatile, which is why I had him ahead of Jalen Green on, on my uh, on my board. And and Drew, you had it you had it flipped the other way. Uh, you had it with Green uh, ahead of Kuminga. I think Green has the perfect combination of buckets and bounce that kind of like tends to like translate well to the NBA when put in practice properly. One of the bigger guys, uh, as a guy who's a big Chicago Bulls fan, I I tend to equate this to uh, Zach Levine, and he's a guy who did still have to develop as a bit of a facilitator. One of the bigger things that had to grow over time was his effort on the defensive end, something that I think also still translates for uh, towards a guy like Jalen Green. What do you feel like is the thing that sets Jalen Green apart from not only Jonathan Kuminga, but everybody else in this draft class in terms of him being a top five pick in general, considering that he really he's just a super athlete with a lot of potential? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough, man. It's definitely tough, man. I think I do agree to, with Ace on this, that, like, um, I do have Green ahead of Kuminga on the draft board just because I feel like um, Kuminga didn't show – I think I don't think he had as good of a showing in the GD games than, as uh, Jalen Green did. But, I mean, I do agree with Ace that I think that Kuminga couldn't end up being a better prospect down the line just because I think that he does a lot more on the court. Like, I mean, Kuminga can – playing ball screen as the ball handler or the ball screener. Um, he can cut and get off the ball. I mean, he's great in transition. Um, I think like A said, man, like I think it's just, it's a lot of guards in the league, man. Like, so it's like you really had to like be able to really take your game to the next level. Um, and we'll see if Jalen Green can, can do that, man. But I'm just like, I think you had to be able to do a little bit more than just like be athletic and be able to score. Cause at that level, a lot of dudes can score, man. A lot of dudes is athletic, you know, but I do think that Jalen Green had the better season uh, in the G League, which is why I have him ahead of, of Kuminga. But um, I think I think Kuminga had a lot of things as far as his physical attributes that you just can't really teach. You know what I'm saying? Like I think if you if, if you're talking about all right, well, you know, we're going his knockers going to be a three point jumper. Then I mean, cool. Like we we can definitely work on that, man. But I just think like um, I think for Green, I think like all right, what's one thing you really do great? Like you know what I'm saying? Like because if we're going to say score, all right, like, we're talking about in the NBA, like, Harden is a great scorer. Steph is a great scorer. I, I, he's not on that level yet. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I don't know. I think it's just um, he has to still, like, kind of define his game a little bit more. But we'll see, man. I think he definitely has the tools to do it. Um, I think it's going to be finding the right fit and then putting in the work. Yeah, I think with Jalen Green, it's interesting because, you know, you talk about Kuminga and it's like defensively, the switchability, the overall physical prowess that he has. It's one of those things that translates really well, but the three-point shot is the the king of the NBA now in terms of being able to produce on the offensive end, something that I think Jalen Green will be able to project better at. But defensively, that's where Jalen Green becomes the difference between being Zach Levine this year and Andrew Wiggins for most of his time in Minnesota, for example. I think Andrew Wiggins was a guy who got a lot of flack in Minnesota because of the fact that he was a 22 a night guy, but it was kind of empty calorie statistics. It was a guy who he was a guy who wasn't really producing in winning efforts. It, it took for him, granted, Golden State is not, you know, who they were before, but they are still in a very good place, despite the fact that they don't have a super great supporting cast because guys like 
Andrew Wiggins, super athletic guys like Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre are committing on the defensive end, despite the fact that they have deficiencies behind the arc. So I think that's, I think it's weird, but also kind of interesting that their swing skills are opposite of one another. Literally, it's almost like you need to take a dab from one and put it to the other and kind of interchange and you'd almost have a perfect, perfect prospect. So I think that's going to be really interesting to see how they go and how they interchange, because one of the bigger things that I think is important and, and Aaron probably touched on it a little bit deeper with it is that the three and D wing is just like the new, like darling of the NBA in terms of like, you're not going to find a lot of them that do this at an elite level. And the fact that he is a guy who literally out on paper reads as one of these unicorn style players that everybody wants on their team at the three, three and D position is going to be one of those things that I might be, that might be the difference between going fifth and maybe even going third depending on how things go at the combine so we're obviously halfway through the stretch and we move towards six and this one i've been waiting to get to number six this entire time because i think this is the most interesting part of the entire board that we have right here and it's davion mitchell of the baylor bears shout out to them for winning the national championship over gonzaga this season great season for them overall this is a dude who I cannot wait to hear you guys' takes on because this is a guy who's definitely significantly moved up the board, significantly played himself into being a legitimate first-round pick. And honestly, it's almost becoming a trend at this point based on what I've seen to put Davion Mitchell at six based on not only his tournament performance, but overall the fact that he was the little engine that could for the Baylor Bears, it seemed, as the guy who might not have gotten as much recognition as maybe a Jared Butler did, for example, in terms of his production offensively. But it was a lot of the things that Davion Mitchell did intangibly that really helped that team go. So, um, Ryan, uh, if you don't mind helping out with the statistics for Davion Mitchell as well, as well as kind of sharing your take on what you feel like moved Davion Mitchell into this arc where he went from being a guy who might have been in the bottom 20s to now we're talking about in the single digits as an early lottery pick. A lot of great games from Davion Mitchell in the tournament, especially with the final. I mean, 15.6 rebounds, five assists, a block and a steal, 40% from the field. But just overall, he was able to shut down a lot of the top scorers, especially guys like Corey Kispert. If you go back to the Houston game and make Quentin Grimes as well, Jajon Giroux both struggled in that game. So I think it's just really his ability to be a solid defender. I mean, he's, a, he's an explosive guard. He's going to be dangerous in the NBA. I just think it's going to be interesting to see where he falls in this draft. I mean, does he live up to that Donovan Mitchell NBA comparison? So I think that's going to be interesting to see going forward. I think with Davion, the bigger thing for me when they make those comparisons to Donovan is just simply the fact that I think what what Donovan does offensively is what Davion does defensively. I think that's where the exchange really changes is that I think Davion is elite as a one through three defender in ways that I feel like Donovan is an elite scorer against one through threes. I think that's one of those things that's going to be really interesting to see what the offensive package is for him because I, I see Davion as more of a facilitator. We've seen that in a handful of their games. I mean, he had 11 assists in that game against Houston um, and he's averaged 5.5 on the season overall. Um, Ace, my bigger thing with Mitchell, right, is that he's a guy who, he's a guy who I think can be a day one player as a defender. But from an offensive package standpoint, 
you know you got to go on the other end and go get some of these guys buckets. You know, you you we can sit here all day and do a podcast just on point guards in the NBA, and it would probably still be way too long to really cover everybody. How do you feel about Davion Mitchell from an offensive standpoint translating to the NBA? Because I think that's really where more concern is going to come from in terms of what he can be at the next level. I mean, I personally don't have any concerns about his offensive game. He shoots 45% from three. He, he can get downhill. He has all the, the change of speed, change of direction. You know, he, he can pass. He's, his first step is, is unbelievable. Like, he, he, he can get past anybody. You know what I'm saying? I think he has a great – like he, he's great playing out of hesitations and like hang dribbles. Like he'll hang and like he can cross, can shoot it. You have to respect his jump shot. Like I think he shoots forty five percent from three, but he's also so quick he can get by you and finish at the rim. Um, I don't really know what he can't do on offense. Like like he can handle it. Um, he can shoot. Like he's a mid range game. He, he can like get all the way to the cup. Um, so I mean I I don't know where the question marks are offensively for him because I, I I don't see a weakness in his offensive game. Like he can he's great from three. He's great at getting to the rim, and he can shoot the mid-range game, and he's a great passer. So, um, I don't know, man. I mean, this dude is – I mean, I mean, I think he could potentially be like a 50-40-90 type of dude. I mean, this dude shot – this year he shot 50-45, and he shot 64 from the free throw line. So, he definitely has to, has to, has to improve that. Um, but like I said, I mean, I, I think that, that's more of a, a mental thing, uh, confidence-wise, obviously, um, free throw line. Uh, but, I, but I think I, I think he can be one of those guys at the next level. Um so, I mean, I think comparing him down to Mitchell is, is, is an accurate comparison. Obviously, nobody – I think at this point in time, both of their careers, he's better offensively than Donovan was when he come, was coming out of Louisville. Because Donovan coming out of Louisville, his offensive game wasn't as positive as it is now. He wasn't he wasn't a great three-point shooter. He became a great three-point shooter when he got to the league. But in college, he wasn't a great three-point shooter. He wasn't great off the bounce. You know, he only averaged, I think, it was like 13 points a game uh, at Louisville as their number one option. He was their best player. And Deion Mitchell was kind of like a second or third option and he averaged 14 and, and six, basically, you know, shooting 50% from the floor and 45% from three. So, um, I, I, I mean, I, I, me personally, I think, I think he's probably one of the best, if not the best two-way player in the entire draft, um, based on what he can do on the defense side of the ball that we, we, we've seen throughout his, you know, his career at, at, at Baylor and starting off at Auburn. But, you know, I think he's going to be a steal of the draft, uh, personally, whoever gets him. And uh, Drew, do you do you have anything kind of to further add in terms of Davion Mitchell? I just think he's a really interesting prospect, and this is kind of where we meet the midpoint in terms of guys that are like we have in a similar order. But this is the one that outside of Cade, we all kind of were on that similar length. That Mitchell has got been a guy who easily has submitted himself as the next guy up after that top five that everybody's been talking about all year. Yeah, man. I mean, I think it's just because, like, like A said, man. I think he just when you know it's hard when you when you're drafting, man. You want to try to kind of get like a sure thing as close as you can to like a sure thing. And a lot of these younger guys, man, there aren't any sure things. You, you kind of drafting potential and things like that. And Davion Mitchell is kind of the closest thing to being like that sure thing. Like, you know what you're going to get from him on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball. Um, I think, you know, you, a lot of people also had um, um, Keon Johnson from Tennessee um, up there. Like, you know, but kind of like he's still the one guy where it's like, He's very, very young, not really sure what, what, what he's going to be able to do at the next level. Um, you know, so I don't know, man. I think that I think that Davon Mitchell, man, I think the reason why he's he moved up so so far, man, is because people kind of know what they're going to get from him, you know, at, at that position after that top five. Yeah, I think Davion Mitchell is going to be one of those really interesting prospects that especially depending on where he lands, I think he's going to be a guy who can produce day one. 
So we got through the top six. Those are the guys that I felt like are pretty consensus based on our list. The rest of it gets kind of hazy. So rather than going through every single little guy, because I think there's a certain mixture of individuals in here, I'm going to start with Ryan. We got a handful of dudes that are mixed in here. We got Moses Moody. We've got James uh, Booknight. We've got Kai Jones. Corey Kisberg is somebody that I know we're not going to be able to get off this podcast without talking about mixed in here. Scotty Barnes is a guy that's not on your list, but is on a handful of ours. Keon Johnson. So pick a guy that you would like to talk about real quick and pretty much make your pitch for why they're on your top 10. I have to go with Kai Jones. And I think this, this is really interesting because, you know, we talk about Terrence Clark and Brandon Boston, how they were slated so high in the mock drafts like how they just completely fell off off the second round. Kai Jones was somebody that we really didn't talk about the entire season because Greg Brown, his teammate, was slated in a lot of the top 10 picks, in a lot of mock drafts in the top 10, somewhere in the top 20. He's not even in the first round in a lot of these mock drafts now. It's Kai Jones, and I think he has a lot of upside. He's also had a lot of great games this year. I think his rebounding ability is excellent. I think he's great in the paint, uh, his ability to score, attack the glass. I think he could be an excellent rebounder in the NBA. I think that will transition well. He can be a great rebounder for any team that he goes to. Yeah, and I think although the statistics don't show it, I think that Kai Jones is going to be a guy that if he can kind of get up there, because his athleticism is there. So I think as a rebounder, if he can just be, more, be more, a little bit more aggressive, put a little bit more weight on, I think at 6'11", the way he shoots a three, I think he shot about 38% from beyond the arc. I think that's going to be huge for him. I think that's going to be one of those things that makes him really interesting in this draft, um, in this draft specifically. Ace, who's somebody in this list that you have that we weren't that we didn't already discuss that you kind of would want to pitch for while they're on your top 10? Yeah, I mean, I think for me it's James Booknight. And I know he wasn't I, I uh he's the guy that I think is, is gonna be uh, along with Davion Mitchell is gonna be another guy that's gonna be a steal uh, in the draft. He's six five, um, super, super athletic, um, very crafty. Um I think he's a guy that's, that's going to slide up, up draft boards um, as his pre-draft process goes out, goes, um, goes, go, 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 like goes on. Um, I think, you know, t- talking to the, the uh, coach at UConn, Tom Moore, coach just at Quinnipiac, mm-hmm. and they rave about James Booknight. People forget, like, before he got hurt, like, UConn was a top 20, top 25 team, you know what I'm saying? And 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 he was really the only reason for that. When he lost, they, they couldn't really beat anybody. You know, they, they lost a stretch there where they were just looking pedestrian. Um and obviously, you know, he, he came back, but he, he was he was still battling injury and whatnot. But I think just his athletic ability, um, his, his quickness, um, I think that, that those, he's a guy that, you know, can, can play more position, can play the one, can play the two, can get off the ball. Uh, I think he's a guy um, that is going to be able to, to um, really come in and make an impact right away just with his, with his ability to score. I think he needs to uh, improve as a, as a three-point shooter. Um, he only obviously shot, you know, 30% from three this year. Uh, was kind of tricky, like either he was shooting well or he wasn't shooting well from, from beyond the arc. So I think that's going to be something he has to add to his game at the next level. But um, he's a guy that I, I loved watching all year. I, I mean, I think he was, you know, an all-American caliber player um, before the injury, man. I think uh, he's, he's he's somebody that's going to be – that's going to surprise a lot of people at the next level. So I'm going James Booknight. And I think Booknight's a guy that with his athleticism, I think he might end up playing himself up the board above some of these guys come combine time. I think that's going to be where he gets to show out because he also is going to be able to show that he is healthy coming off the injury. He's going to get a little bit of time to continue to rehab that coming off that Maryland game. Um, 
But I think, you know, 18.7 points per game, 5.7 rebounds. He's a guy, like you said, didn't really shoot it well from three, but 78% from the free throw line shows the progression that he could be that guy at the next level. So that's all there. So I think I think James Booknight is going to be really interesting, especially come combine time. Drew, there's no way in the world, there's no way in the world you're not picking Corey Kispert, right? <laughs> well, I, I would have picked Booknight, you know, but Ace, Ace got to him first, man, so – uh, I will, I will, I will take Kisper on this one, and I think the only reason why I say it, man, is because I think, I mean, in look back at, at, at Phoenix, you know, Phoenix took uh, Cam Johnson at eleven a couple years ago, and everybody was like, "Whoa, he eleven? What?" Like people were surprised he wasn't supposed to go that high. Cam Johnson is a one million times better defender than Corey Kisper. Right, he's, he's a better defender. Guard his own shadow. He's a better defender, but people were drafting him because he could shoot the ball. He's a three point shooter. That's really what. Got him into the conversation, and then the defense was more of a plus. So I think for Kisper, he's a guy who's a great, great shooter. Um, and I think that I think you know people forget like Gonzaga was one of the best defensive teams in the country this year. You know, so I mean it's clear that he played a ton of minutes for Gonzaga. So I don't think he's that bad of a defender. I think like you can definitely scheme around him. You you compare him to a guy like Davion Mitchell who's trying to guard like and Jared Butler. I mean he's got two of the best. Breakdown guys in college basketball, so I think that's a little bit unfair. Who's going to go in the league? Who, who, I'm, I'm just saying, I think, I think you could scheme him up and, and, and kind of like hide him, deep, I think you could hide him on defense, but I think his value. Yeah, who you gonna hide him? Who you, who you gonna hide him on? He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's also because of his shooting ability, like because he can stretch the floor. He's the best shooter in this draft, you know, by far. And uh, I think that when you look at his practice to the next level, you know, I think that teams are going to take him because he's a guy who is going to be able to come in and knock down shots. From day one, you know what you're going to get out of him. I think the big thing, too, and Ace, I understand where you're coming from from a defensive standpoint, but I think the one thing that we do need to focus on is the fact that he's going to be a 2-3 at the next level, a 6-7. I think one of the bigger things is he's going to be a guy who who produces a lot better on catch-and-shoot situations. He's going to be a guy who we see actually maybe be a lot better in the transition game than he is in the half court, which that's kind of where the game is transitioning now. So I think with the way the circumstances are, I think that Drew has a really solid point in terms of, putting him on his list. I do think it's kind of interesting that he is at nine. I honestly would have put him at 10 borderline. Honestly, I had him around 12 when I was putting my board together. And I think it's just because I need to see that the mentality is there at the next level shooters going to shoot. And he's a guy who it seemed like when his shot isn't falling, he kind of wanes off and decides to kind of step away from the spotlight. And you can't really have that from a guy who needs to be shooting at a high clip in the NBA. Um, honestly, for me, the guy that I'm going to roll with is Jalen Johnson. And I know we didn't get to see him in the tournament, but I think that's what makes him such an interesting enigma in this entire conversation, because he's a guy who has a lot of interesting skill sets as a guy who's compared to Ben Simmons a lot. I don't think the defensive acumen is there, but I think a lot of the other things in terms of being a big guy at six, nine can facilitate, can play a little bit with his back to the basket, does a lot in, in transition as a guy who can run out and also make the passes in that position as well. Um, I think he has a lot of things that hooked him up in a certain kind of way by being a guy that didn't finish out with Duke. I think actually playing out the rest of the season may have actually hurt it, may have potentially hurt his stock a little bit more. So I think by staying out of the way, he might have actually been put in a little bit of a better position. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what he does in five on fives and stuff like that in the combine, because I think that's going to be our really a really good litmus test for us in terms of understanding how he stacks up against some of the other prospects. So I think that's going to be really interesting but, I mean, all these guys are going to be really interesting overall to kind of see and kind of break down their tape a lot deeper as we go further along. So, 
Um, yeah, solid big boards by everybody, though. Solid big boards all around. Yeah, I, I think my biggest thing with, with, with Kisberg, going back to the Kisberg thing, is that I think the one thing that helps him is that he is 6'7". Mm-hmm. So you can you can put him on bigger on bigger guards, you know, or, or you know, wings, small fours, three, three men in the league, um, guys that aren't as quick. Because he can't stay in front of small, quick guards. Like, obviously, you saw with those, with those Butler um, guards with Damian uh, Mitchell and Jared Butler and HOT. He's going to struggle to guard ones and twos, which is why I think, you know, we, we watched Baylor just literally get get him and do Timmy on switches and just absolutely go to work each and every time down the court. So, you know, I think that's going to be the biggest thing. We talk about these three and D wings, you know, you have to be able to guard. If you can't guard, you're not going to be able to get on the court. Obviously, he'll, he'll be able to find minutes because he can shoot the ball. Um, but like I, like, like I said, in the, in the lottery, just me personally, I'm not taking a guy in the lottery to come in and be a, a, a spot up catch and shoot shooter that I'm, I'm going to play 20 minutes a game. You know, I, I'm not taking him at a, at, at, in the top 10. Like, if I take him, that's going to be toward the later end of the lottery, maybe like mid first round, later first round. Me personally, but I know he probably won't slip that far just because at the end of the day, he was an All American. He did, he did average 18 a game, and he was, you know, one of the best players in the country this year. But, and he is 6'7, and he can shoot the ball. So at that, at that point, you know, you're 6'7, you shoot 40 from three, you're going to get picked. Um, but I think I think his, just his ability or lack thereof to defend is just what really worries me with with him because he's going to be guarding if you're if you're guarding threes you're going to be guarding what LeBron, KD, Giannis potentially. I mean Paul George, Kawhi. I mean the list goes on and on. He he doesn't have a chance guarding any of those dudes. And you talk about shooting guards, D Book, Brad Bill, um, CJ McCollum. I mean it, it gets the list goes on and on and on um, in the league. So I, I think that's more so what worries. Me by him, obviously, um, there, it might be nice but you could hide him. But I mean, if dudes are, we, we see what happens with, with guys like Steph Curry, you know, when guys just kind of pick out switches and, and find their matchups. And, and if that's the case, you can't have him on the floor, you know. So I think that, I think that that's just my biggest worry with Kisper. I think he's gonna get picked, but um, I just I just think that that, that championship game really exposed a lot of weaknesses um, in his game. And like I said, he's not great off the bounce. Like, he's not great beating guys off the bounce. Like he he's, he's his role is literally going to be like a, a catch-and-shoot shooter at, at the next level. So I just think for me, there's not much value in that in, in the top 10. Like, I, I, I just want to pick that, you know, in, in the top 10 of my, of my draft board. Yeah, I think that's definitely going to be the big thing is that guys, guys from an evaluation standpoint are going to have to fall in love with his ability to shoot it, for, at, shoot it at a high clip. I think the combine – from the shooting standpoint, you know how they have them do the 100 shots and see how many you can get consistent. I think they're going to get infatuated with that number, and that'll have a lot to do with where he lands. But overall, I think I think you have a serious point in terms of what his fit is going to be like in the NBA defensively more than offensively. Because I think offensively, the plug-and-play potential is there. But defensively, that's going to be one of those where I don't think you want to be having to swing on a older rookie um, – and having to already be in a situation where you're trying to cater to him from a defensive standpoint by trying to hide him. It's not that caliber of a player yet. I will say, though, that Jalen Johnson's pick, I don't got him anywhere near my top 10, but I think his, he does have some upside. I mean, he's had games where he had 19 and 19 and 24 and 16. So, I mean, he's shown flashes at times um, of, of, like, you know, a, a lot of upside. But I think the biggest thing with him mentally before we've heard he was – you know, having his struggles off the court and you know, his, his people didn't get along with Coach K peoples and that whole that whole dynamic. So I think he's talented, but mentally, you know, he, he, he got to probably do some maturing and do some growing up uh, at the next level. But if he can do that, I think he could be an intriguing prospect, you know, towards later end of the first round. You know, if, if you if, if a team just tries to take a swing at him, 
I think that's the operative word is take a swing. I think he's going to be one of those guys that via his produ- production at the combine and a lot of his interviews, because you touched on the mental, uh, the mental aspect of it for him more specifically, he's kind of not really in a Kevin Porter Jr. situation with how he was coming out of USC, but something like fringe of that, where it's going to be, you're going to kind of want to just check on what his mentality is and what he is going to be like as a person slash teammate at the next level too. So that'll be really interesting when that combine process comes and we'll probably end up running back and doing something like this different, uh, maybe a little bit differently when the combine passes based on some of the things that we learn about the prospects. And it'll be just really interesting to be able to take that information and kind of re-dissect. But uh, Ryan, I mean, that's the big board, bro. I mean, what an episode we had today. Thank you to Aaron and Andrew Robinson from All Facts Media. And transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, just going off of what Aaron said about Corey Kispert, do you feel like Corey Kispert is a top 10 pick? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. And we'll see you guys next episode. Peace.